Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast exploring the very best in productivity and professional development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Patton McDowell, and I'm glad to help you as you chart your course towards senior leadership in the charitable profession. While this episode was recorded before our current coronavirus uh, adventures, um, I'm hoping it'll offer you a professional development distraction while your travel and activity is somewhat limited. I'm fortunate to have a great conversation to share with you with Nancy Beard. Now, Nancy is the president of the United Church Homes and Services Foundation, and she also currently serves as the president of the North Carolina Council of Charitable Gift Planners. But, of course, her current experiences don't nearly tell the full story of 25 years of nonprofit experience and volunteer work prior to that. Like many of our guests, she does not have a traditional nonprofit path to her current leadership, but is a great example of yet another who has come to this field and excelled through a lateral entry. Now, Nancy has great resources to share throughout our conversation, and I hope you'll listen in carefully for advice she can offer for those of you just starting off in the nonprofit sector, like her, perhaps a volunteer now thinking about nonprofit work as a profession. What were the books she read? What were the advice she received? Uh, and things like that that could help you advance. Certainly, she can talk about advancing through the mid career stage, uh, ways to enhance your skills and experiences so that you can indeed achieve senior leadership. And what she's doing now is such a fascinating exploration of coaching. How could you use a coach to perhaps build your skill set even further? Uh, and she is working with women, very talented women in the nonprofit sector as a life coach and a professional guide. And she talks about that, differences between mentoring and coaching and other ways that you may have considered utilizing outside help. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Nancy Beard. Nancy, thank you for joining me on the path. I am super excited to be here. Well, Nancy, I've looked forward to this conversation, your experience along the the journey of nonprofit leadership is an impressive one. And I'm uh, eager, as I know our listeners are, to learn about your journey, the lessons you've learned, the advice you've gotten. And, and now, of course, I know that you have turned that into a coaching practice as well as your continued work in the nonprofit sector. So tell us, how'd you first get onto the path to uh, nonprofit leadership? Well, Patton, I don't know if you, you probably have never sat in on um, one of my classes when I teach about fundraising, but it's kind of, um, every time I appear and I teach classes, I start with when I was a young child in the early sixties, I went trick-or-treating for UNICEF. (laughs) And, um, I, and when I do my presentations, I always take my little orange box with me. And it was a beautiful thing. I was a little girl in Indiana and I got to go trick-or-treating twice. Once I went to get all my candy. And the second time I got to go collect money that I then took. I don't remember if I took it to my church or to my elementary school, but we were raising money for hungry children. And, um, you know, it touched my heart as a child. 
And so as I was growing up, I was always pulled towards social justice issues, things that weren't fair, things that weren't right. And I went on a path to discover, try to discover what that meant. And um, finally, I put the pieces together when I was um, a young uh, mother at home with two children. I kind of was a full-time volunteer in the nonprofit sector and in fundraising. And my first mentor in that was Diane Brownfield at Providence Day School. Right. And Di my children went to Providence Day and I, Diane took me under her wings and taught me almost everything I know. And back then when mothers stayed home, we, um, we did, I mean, my children's school at that time, the parents served the lunches and we chaired the special events. We, you know, my children were on roller skates, ringing bells when the annual campaign was going on. So it was a, it was a, certainly a, a family involvement. But then once I decided it was time to go back to work, I decided that, you know, I certainly was being called to the nonprofit sector. So I do feel that I'm called and it was a calling. I do feel that fundraising was exactly where I'm supposed to be. And, um, and that's what got me there. So it was a little different path to get there, but um, I feel incredibly blessed to have had um, the career that I've had in, in the nonprofit sector. That's fantastic. And clearly the inspiration you got as a child carried through. Uh, your journey may have taken you into some, of course, important parts of your life, parenthood being chief among them. But it's significant, I think, that you had some great volunteer experiences that were very relevant to the nonprofit leadership roles that you've had ever since. Is that fair to say? It is absolutely fair. I um, certainly Providence Day, I did a lot of volunteer work, but then I did probably some of my greatest volunteer work was at a child's place. Oh yeah, and um, that was way back before children, um, homeless children, were mainstreamed. We still had our own separate classroom and you know, journal writing with them. But, but fundraising, again, became my strength there, um, uh, chairing their first black tie affair and um, just kind of raising the bar on fundraising. And I remember there was a great need at a child's place. I also served on the board at, uh, of a child's place. And I saw a need that they, uh, they needed to have an organized volunteer program. Right. And then I thought how beautiful it would be to have a organized teenage volunteer program. And I felt very much called to do that, but couldn't quite figure out how to do it. So I was actually a retread at Queens University at that time, finishing up my <laughs> college degree. That's and okay. um, again, not another non-traditional path in my life. And so I did it as an independent study. So I must be one of the only people who paid to do, create a volunteer experience. Wow. But, um, but during that experience, I created um, their volunteer program. And I also uh, created and launched a group called Project Teen. And it was teens advocating for homeless children. But um, the beautiful thing was I took a course which was put on at that time by NSFRE, which was the National Society of Fundraising Executives before AFP. And back then, board members could take the, I believe it was called the survey course. 
And it just so happened that my teacher in that class was Carla Williams. So Carla Williams was working in Charlotte some, I believe she was in St. Louis at that time, but came to Charlotte often, was teaching this class. And I was bold enough to go up and ask her, tell her about what I was doing, creating these volunteer programs. And when she was in town the next time, would she mind looking at my process and, and evaluate it for me? So Good for you, yeah. not knowing who Carla Williams was or anything, she did come to town. She called me and she came to my home. And the first thing she told me was, go get me, go get me your children's chalkboard. So I brought it downstairs and she gave me two hours of time where she went over all my ideas and helped make sure that I was presenting this top notch program. So as she was leaving, you know, um, I, I, I was just amazed that someone with her ability, I mean, Carla, I think at that time had her ACFRE. I mean, she was top notch. Absolutely. And she took time to go to come to my home as a volunteer for an organization to um, share her knowledge, share her wisdom and bless my project. So um, I'm forever. She was my second mentor um, in the profession and probably one who that little bit of a boost probably showed me that it was the path for me to go um, as a profession. It's fantastic and good for you for lifting up mentors. I know there is a thread throughout your career journey that you have benefited from wonderful volunteer mentors like those. And you have turned that and we'll talk about that you're, I think you one time told me, Nancy, you, you now always respond to someone who seeks you out as a mentor. Is that kind of still your philosophy? It is still my philosophy um, from, I, I will share my, th my third mentor and um, um, who is still my mentor to this day was Jim Kelly. And Absolutely. while Jim uh, and I are the same age, I entered the profession later than he did. But um, <laughs> when Patton, when I would meet with Jim, he would intimidate me so much <laughs> that I would prepare for eight to 10 hours to go for a one hour visit with him because I wow. never wanted him to ask me a question that I couldn't answer. I would go, I would take a deep dive into everything I was thinking, working on. I wanted to have my statistics. I wanted to know everything. And um, I believe because I had such an amazing uh, role model as what a, a good mentor should be, I was able then to say, I believe that if I love my profession so much, I should always give back to my profession. And I certainly did that by serving on the AFP board for seven years. I'm now president of the North Carolina Council of Charitable Gift Planners because most of my work is in planned giving now. But when it comes to mentoring, I believe anyone who is bold enough to ask and be willing to do the work, because I make it clear to people, um, I, I'm not going to just answer all the questions. I'm going to guide you so that you can answer your own questions. Good point. But I certainly will show examples and hopefully show good leadership. Well, that's fantastic. And it, it sounds like you appreciated this kind of mentorship relationship early on. I'm guessing that remains advice to younger professionals, new professionals in our field. Seek out a mentor. Is that chief among your, your list of things to do for someone like that? I think it's absolutely cheap. I think it's not only seek out a mentor, go find the mentor that you want. You admire their work 
and you want to aspire to be somewhat like them, and then you tell them why you want them to mentor you. But then I think on the flip side, be willing to do the work. Like I mentor five or six people right now across the United States. And um, before, when we have a meeting, I have them 24 hours in advance, send me the agenda of what they want to talk about because I'm going to come to the meeting prepared. Nice. And I kind of expect the same um, from, from my mentee, that they come to the meeting prepared, they know what they want to talk about, and um, they know where they're having a struggle. That's great advice. And we just can't show up with a mentor, expect them to solve our problems, answer our questions, as you stated. And uh, I'm impressed. And, and I guess I want to pause here. As you know, Nancy, uh, kind of feature of this podcast is productivity. And I don't have to tell you, someone who was a mom, a volunteer, and then ultimately a nonprofit professional, you have juggled many things and, and done them very well. How do you stay organized? Yeah, that's interesting. Yes. And I recently went back to school for two years while I'm juggling all my things. And now I have my own business um, my goodness. Um, with um, coaching and motivational speaking. So I do it by on Monday mornings uh, for my uh, work at United Church Homes and Services Foundation. I kind of take the first 30 minutes of a Monday morning, which I I'm an early riser. Um, I, I am up before five and I, if I'm in town, I meet my walking buddy at six o'clock. So nice. that happens to be where I work so I can shower and be at my desk by seven 30, which, um, is when I function really well. But, um, I try to take the first 30 minutes and kind of look at my week. What do I need to do? What has to be accomplished? And then, um, I go ahead and I assign all the tasks for that. I then, if you saw my, I use an Outlook calendar. It had, it is so color coded that it's the most beautiful thing in the world. But I put <laughs> everything on it almost. Um, if it's a call, it's it's in yellow. If it's a meeting, it's in orange. If it's um, what I call social accountability, which is me giving back so that I can account for it on my CFRE, it's in purple. So that I, when I look at my calendar, I kind of don't even have to look too closely. I know at nine o'clock I have a call. I know at 10 nice. o'clock I have a meeting and that helps me a lot. But then that's a weekly, case, I'm sorry, sorry me. to interrupt you. That, that's a weekly kind of color coding exercise or you got That it? is a weekly exercise I do. And then on Fridays, I kind of do a review. Gotcha. What, what did I accomplish? What what did I push off to the next week? And if I didn't get something accomplished, I have to hold myself accountable for it. What was the reason? Was there a really good reason for it? Um, it, it, it can't, the reason can't be, I just didn't want to do it. <laughs> it right. needs to be right. done. So um, I hold myself pretty, um, uh, I hold myself accountable for the work that I do. So if um, it doesn't get, if it's not on the Friday scorecard, then, you're intentional, I guess, about putting it into next week's calendar and making it, sure that it gets done. It is. And on, and on, you know, late Friday afternoon before I leave, I, I do the evaluation, but I also do a celebration. I am very big on celebrating, um, celebrating that we, we closed a project, celebrating that we got a new gift, celebrating that we got a new donor. Um, 
I think the sad thing that we can do in our in the work that we do is we get so focused on it that all of a sudden we forget to celebrate. Yeah, great point. And celebration is beautiful. I'm in a campaign right now to get 50 new legacy donors by our 50th anniversary. And um, we are, and, I, and I'd say we, I'm a sole fundraiser. So um, we are uh, 15 months into it and we just re- got our 39th legacy donor. That's fantastic. And we celebrate that. That's, that's beautiful. But, you know, if we just keep going, then all of a sudden the work isn't fun. And that takes the fun out of fundraising and we don't ever want to do that. Do you think that's why, and I guess the turnover issues, as you know, uh, is troubling for the nonprofit sector, fundraisers in particular. Do you think that's among the reasons that, that it's not fun and organizations and leaders in particular are not motivating in a positive way? You know, as a, um, as a life coach with my specialty is, is women in the nonprofit sector in fund development. So, uh, so I, that's who I coach. Right. I hear so many of the stories and I really went into this because as a mentor, I also heard the stories, the stories go anything from, um, uh, lack of onboarding on the expectations, unreal expectations. Um, and then on the other side with the employee or the fund development professional, it's, it's sometimes they're always looking for a problem. Because yep. it's never going to be perfect, you know. It's it's never going to be this wonderful day at work. Sometimes we have to do stuff we don't like. Um, you know, so, I, I make a joke that when I come back in the next life, I'm not going to be a schlepper any longer, which means <laughs> I still carry stuff all the time. You know? But that never ends, does it? It never ends. Because I, I tell people, oh, wouldn't we, we love in-kind donations. We love all this stuff. So I end up, you know, with a carload of this stuff. Um, and I, you know, it's not something I want to do, but how beautiful is it that I gave an opportunity to someone to give their in-kind items to us so that they could be enjoyed and recycled and used for another person who doesn't have those things. Yeah, but your, your point is so well made, Nancy, that it's a two-way street, and a lot of the talk of the turnover is the challenges of the fundraiser arriving. I would often describe it as being parachuted into an environment, as you said, no onboarding, unrealistic expectations, but uh, perhaps also the individual that lands in that job has to understand that it's not just going to be the rosy picture perhaps they had of the cause, right? That they just they believe this cause is so noble and everything's going to be perfect when they get there. But as you have learned and you and I both, uh, sometimes you got to roll up your sleeves and do the, the less than fun stuff. Well, and sometimes you have to roll up your sleeves and do the things that are not your job in any way, shape or form, just because right. you can and because you're, a, you're um, a, t- a team player. But I will say my first two jobs in fund development, there, there certainly wasn't any onboarding and there wasn't a plan in front of me how to do the job. I had to figure out how to do the job. And that's where a mentor comes in. Um, I can remember probably within my first six months in my first position, we had um, a situation that wasn't real pleasant with a consultant. I had never worked with a consultant before. I 
assumed what we should be expecting and was not seeing it. So right. what I did was I, I talked it over with my mentor, Jim Kelly. And then I said, Jim, I'm going to hold this meeting. Would you attend the meeting? And if I ever get off, off track as to where I should be, or I'm, you know, a little bit over my head, would you jump in and help me with it? I don't want you to do the meeting, but I want you to be there as my support person of which he did. And, and I was totally right on what should have happened, but I needed that little bit of a boost from him to be able to trust myself. And after that, I was able to fly completely on my own. That's fantastic. I hadn't considered the use of a mentor. And obviously, to Jim's credit, he was willing not only to advise you after the fact, he was there with you side by side. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, is that among the advice? I know you counsel uh, many and, and particularly women in the fundraising roles those that are thinking about starting off in nonprofit, many of our listeners are in that category, Nancy, thinking about it would be interested. What, what other advice uh, do you offer someone like that? I think um, if I, if I'm meeting with someone early on, I typically um, suggest a book to read and I, and, and for, for some people it's super helpful for others, maybe not so much. It's a, it can be a little heavy, but it's by Parker Palmer. Oh, yeah. And it's titled, Let Your Life Speak, Listening for the Voice of Vocation. Um, I believe your life does tell you the path you're supposed to go on. And um, I think you need to take some quiet time to listen to where you should be in your life. And I think this small book is very, very helpful with that. That's I think the other thing is, when I mentor or coach someone, we start like many of your, um, uh, those you have interviewed suggested with Strength Finders 2.0. Right. I, I think it is an amazing tool to honor your strengths. On my resume, I have my strengths right at the top of it because I own them. But where most people make a mistake with Strength Finders 2.0 is they take the test, they read the book, and then that's the end of it. That, I explain that's where the work now begins because then you need to evaluate all the information in there to be able to understand. I actually create a chart which is called pros and cons of each of the strengths. And then if I'm coaching you or mentoring you, we're gonna do a deep dive into the cons because with each, each strength and each good part, we have another part that maybe is not so much. For instance, one of my strengths is I'm a woo. And you know, a woo is a wonderful thing. That means, you know, if you give me a microphone, I'll get up in front of a thousand people and talk I'm with no problem. But it also means that I can take over a conversation or that, um, you know, I might not allow somebody else to voice their opinion because I know the answer. So right. I had to really look, work a lot on my own personality strengths to be able to make them so that I could work in an environment with all the other personality strengths. But that your chart, your pros and cons chart keeps the strengths finders concepts as an ongoing and integrated part of your professional development, right? As opposed Absolutely. to read it and then put it on the shelf. In my office, I have, I have my strengths right there in front of me in my coaching office. And I look at them all the time because I honor them. And I know um, they are my, my gifts that were given to me 
to use to make a difference in the world. And, and I do believe that we're all put on this earth to make some sort of a difference in the world. And um, those are the ones that I have. And, you know, I call them my money makers or whatever, but um, they're my strengths and they're there for me to honor them. Well, good for you. And I think that's just, that is good advice that the, the career journey, professional development journey, the coaching journey, all uh, these are concepts that you don't just kind of achieve and then you're done. Uh, it is a lifelong effort and you have certainly illustrated that. Uh, I know you are working with nonprofit professionals of all kind of stages, the, the newcomers. Um, do you see any new different characteristics for those professionals that are kind of climbing the ladder, either hoping to be an executive director or uh, even in the executive director role? Are, are there certain challenges you see in the kind of, quote, new leaders? I, I, see, um, I see a disconnect between the board, uh, um, the executive leadership, and then the program people. I see a, this disconnect that doesn't seem to be able to um, weave itself together. There seem to be people have been put into silos right. instead of um, everyone working together. I can remember many, many, many years ago, I did a presentation um, to Crisis Assistance Ministry on, um, on, all, all the components working together. And I actually used a wheel and the spokes on the wheels. One of the wheels can't be heavier. I mean, one of the spokes can't be heavier. Everyone needs to be on that wheel and working together. And I see this big disconnect and I see fund development people who are not even part of board meetings now, which when I started out, I kind of was told you don't even work for an organization where you don't go to the board meetings. Right. Or I see people who are told they're not supposed to develop a relationship with the board members. And um, is that I the executive director? Is that the executive excuse director kind of not wanting? No, at the, else, excuse so. me, at the fund development, the top leadership, senior development level. Right. No, right. Not, not the executive director, but at the senior development le level. But they're preventing the, the senior development people from being part of the board meetings. You're seeing That's more correct. of that? That's correct. And why do you think, is that uh, insecurity of an executive director not wanting his or her senior team also with the board? I, I, I don't know exactly what it is. I know that I've, I've heard it over and over again yeah. that there's this lack of teamwork between um, all the different components. And um, I certainly um, don't have it in, in my, uh, my current position. I and I can say I haven't seen it in my career, but I've heard lots and lots You're of stories um, through mentoring and coaching about that. What do you, how do you coach or encourage a leader that perhaps you sense some of that silo effect in their organization? Uh, I'm guessing you are encouraging more of a team dynamic. Absolutely. Um, and if, if I'm doing executive coaching, we, ha we often, you know, we start by getting at the root of what are your thoughts about something? Because sometimes people are just putting, spending way too much time thinking about something and creating it into a problem. When, you know, let's just start at the basics. Okay, right now, 
Um, we don't have a team together, but let's think about what it would look like if we had a high functioning team. What nice. does that high functioning team look like? What is everybody doing? You know, let's kind of almost go to the future self or the future organization of when it's high functioning and how it's working. Because I think you have to look ahead to see what is it I'm trying to create. And if you can't see it, then you have to go look at another organization that really is modeling it very well. That's great advice. And so sometimes getting out of that silo perhaps is the best way to envision what it might look like. Cause I would, that, that leads to a question I was going to ask you when you are coaching or mentoring someone who is frustrated in their job. It, it sounds like though you're, you're not quick to push them to go look for a new job or a new opportunity. You want them to maybe better assess the situation they're in now. In, in coaching, I would never suggest somebody go for a new job. It's almost like, you know, if, if, if their marriage isn't well, that you don't leave your marriage and um, go, go get a new one. You try to, you fix what you can in that situation at that time so that when you go to that new job, um, so if I was coaching someone who said, I, I want to go, we're going to talk about what's going on today. Right. If the last, if you tell me that the last two places you worked, this was the problem, then I'm probably going to say, we need to evaluate if you might be part of the problem. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I have never been shy about saying that you, the same problem typically doesn't continue to happen like that. So sometimes it's, it's the thoughts about the problem, but sometimes we just spend too much time thinking about it. For instance, you know, my boss ignores me every day. That's kind of something that I hear something to that effect. Right. And it's like, what if we thought my boss is really tied up thinking a lot of thoughts in her mind today and she forgot to say hello to me? You, you get to reframe you get it, to think whatever you want to think, but it sure changes the dynamic because we don't really know why our boss isn't speaking to us. So to make the story that my boss is mad at me, my boss doesn't like my work, my boss is a mean person, all of that. We don't really have any facts for that. So we kind of have to change our thinking about it. And I, I use something in my coaching called the model where we start with a neutral situation, which is the circumstance. And that means it's absolute 100% fact. And then we go to what is the thought about the fact? And then we go to what is the feeling about that? And then what actions or lack of actions? And then what is the result? And your result will always tie back to what your thoughts are. Yeah, that's, that's excellent. And it seems it would take some of the emotions that, that may have kind of been residual uh, accumulating in my mind if I'm someone you're working with, right? And you're helping clear that clutter and maybe evaluate it in a more neutral fashion. Right. What's the ideal coaching candidate for you, Nancy? It, it's not always a, a perfect fit, I'm sure, but it sounds like you have a clear vision for the type of person that could best benefit from your coaching services. What is it? The perfect person for me is, is a fund development professional um, who has been in the career for some time 
maybe they've um, maybe they are at a crossroads in their life that um, maybe the children have gone off to college, maybe they've gone through a divorce. Something is changing, and with that change, they're questioning their life. Yep. Do I want to stay in the nonprofit sector? What else do I want to do? There comes a time where we get, um, particularly for women, once they get into their their late forties um, to early fifties, even, but um, and certainly I coach women of all ages. But women at that age, they're very open to talking about who they are, what they wanted to be. And my whole coaching practice is: How do you find joy in your life? And I am assuming that m- most of my candidates, they also want to give back to the sector. They want to have a peaceful life. How right. do we put all these components together to create this joyful, peaceful life that we get to live and it's given to us? And then I would say on top of that, we get the gift of serving in servant leadership in the nonprofit sector, but we just got to tweak some things. So my perfect um, client is someone who's really fairly well um, emotionally but is just a little confused of where they are at that point in their life because um, you know life is um, throws us lots of curveballs and right. I've, I've certainly had plenty of them in my life and it's how do you handle those curveballs and what do you do with them and I so it is uh, it brings me great joy to be able to guide people through coaching there's a very big difference between mentoring and coaching and that um, was um, it took a long time for me to learn. Mentoring is pretty much I tell you what to do, or you yeah. ask my opinion, I tell you, or I show you my example. Um, I hold you accountable. Coaching is I'm going to guide you on the journey, but I am never going to have an opinion and I'm never going to have judgment about it. Right. So it's a very important distinction. You're right. It's a important. very different relationship. Yeah, I'm glad you clarify that because I think sometimes uh, people will incorrectly just use those interchangeably. And so I'm glad you're helping make that distinction. Both have value, right? In yes. terms of mentoring and coaching, but they're different. And that's they are they are very, very different. And um, you know, you're either looking for a mentor or you're looking for a coach. And if somebody comes up and is talking to me, I will ask them, which hat am I wearing? Am I wearing a mentoring hat or am I wearing a coaching hat? because there's going to be a very different conversation. Well, excellent point. And uh, do you run in, Nancy, to folks, uh, you in some ways self-described a non-traditional journey into the nonprofit, certainly the paid fundraising roles that you have held after success as a volunteer. Do you run into folks that I guess I would describe as lateral entries? They've maybe worked in the for-profit sector and now, feel like they have something to contribute, but do you see challenges and opportunities in, in your interactions with folks like that? Um, I, I see it as I welcome, welcome anyone to the nonprofit sector who wants to be there because at different times in our life is when we feel the call or the tug to come into it. Um, I do find that most people who have a lateral entry are a little surprised, primarily I think primarily for how tight we keep budgets, right? Uh, how we um, are very aware of all of our expenses 
And, um, you know, because the, the bottom line is, you know, we have to spend as little as possible so that we can share the most for our programs. So I think probably that's the most, but I say everyone is welcome into this sector. Everyone is encouraged to come and um, all they have to do is get to an AFP meeting or, um, or the North Carolina Council of Charitable Gift Planners meeting or whichever group they want to join and, um, and ask for help. Don't right. ever be too embarrassed to ask for help because we all really do love to share our time. And I know you've mentioned, you know, that how many people you've met for coffee, including me. Um, we will do that. Now, again, I'm going to say we will do that if there's a purpose and you really kind of have a plan, you have a path you're going on, um, you are contributing to this conversation. Great point. And I try to employ the same rule you do. I'm happy to help you, but if you just want to sit down because you're miserable in your current job, but don't really have a vision for a path forward, you know, there's not much I can do. Um, but well, if you, I think that's similar to what you're saying. I think so. And I think, um, I'm real big on what are your measurable outcomes? You know, you want to go work for XYZ and you want to use me as a reference. You need to prove to me that you have accomplished this that you say you do. I'm going to drill you on that a little bit. I'm going to question that. You can't just come and ask me to be a reference because you told me that you accomplished this. Right. Um, I, I'm going to need a little more information than that. Oh, that's great advice. And I think, again, for our listeners who are contemplating opportunities, want to be strong candidates, uh, they need to consider exactly what you are advising. Can they demonstrate the experiences they've had in a measurable way? Because certainly a search committee is going to be thinking along those lines also. Um, What I find fascinating about your work, Nancy, is in the plan giving space in particular. And for those not familiar with uh, maybe the unique elements of that, uh, within the fundraising community. Also, I think many are intimidated or uncomfortable with that. Talk about how you get around that and encourage uh, fundraisers to get more comfortable with plan giving. Well, and, and this is a, um, an interesting conversation because you may not remember this, but um, you were one of the uh, people who... Um, suggested that I get on the North Carolina Council of Charitable Gift Planners Board. <laughs> yes, uh, I hope that was a some good advice, perhaps. Well, it, it was several years, many years ago, we were in Wilmington, and it was my birthday. I remember it distinctly, because I laughed. And I said, I teach planned giving, but I kind of do it in such a basic way because I got so tired of going to the kind of meetings where we had someone who had a law degree who got up and talked about cruts and crats for two hours. When exactly. It was like, okay, I might not get this, but if most all of the gifts are bequests, why do we spend hour upon hour talking about cruts and crats? Yep. Um, o- overcomplicated. Simple, it, it seemed to me like what we needed to start talking about was a conversation. So... Um, I did go on the board, but I did state how I was different and that um, I might, I I was representing the health and human services field, which was a little bit different. So um, 
somehow um, <laughs> we have worked together and uh, North Carolina Council of Charitable Gift Planners is a wonderful, open and um, um, beautiful place to learn all forms of planned giving at this time. Yep. And um, when I teach it, I teach it in such a basic way that you just have to be confident. The, the fund development professional has to be confident enough to go have a conversation of what is meaningful in someone's life. And that is such a beautiful and rich conversation. And where I, I get a little frustrated is I will mentor someone and they will they will do all the beautiful charts and they'll create, you know, all their, um, their prospects and eat time after time after time. That's all I'm seeing is all this desk work being done. Right. And one girl I mentored, I had to say, don't call me until you go make a plan giving call because I, you get all the information you need about a donor by sitting in front of a donor. You can get on the internet and research all day long and create beautiful reports, but you're never going to be successful until you get comfortable having the conversation in a living room, in an office, in a restaurant with donors who really do want to leave a legacy, but they are going to have to be shown the way um, and then asked for them to be part of this beautiful relationship. Great advice. It's still a relationship business, isn't it? It's not it is a relationship it's just a science, business. so to speak. And um, I, I um, have told my, my fabulous boss that I have, I said, you know, I'm going to retire before it is not a relationship business because I am about building relationships. I love it. Um, I'm not going to be the girl in the future to raise funds online and to do it in a very different way. I hope we never move away from relationship building and relation, all of this, but I've done an um, informal survey of um, people in their, you know, probably late 40s to early 60s about how would you feel about somebody calling you on the phone and wanting to come and have a conversation with you about legacy giving? And quite frankly, most of them have said I wouldn't be open to it too much. Right, right. Um, but you know what? I call people of all ages. I just had a legacy conversation with a gentleman who's 32 years old in a restaurant over breakfast. Wow. And um, <laughs> so, you know, I feel all people should be given an opportunity to do something meaningful. And to, and then I think all organizations owe those people um, the right that we will never forget them. We will honor them and um, take good care of them. But you're talking, it's not death and dying then, Nancy, right? It's legacy, it's impact, it's, it's investment. Those are, those are positive conversations. It's about, you know, taking your giving to the next level. And um, what I found recently with planned giving is people do want to give a gift today and they want to be done with it. Yep. You know, fine. You can talk about, you know, how to um, uh, purchase a life insurance policy and make our organization the owner of the policy. You can get a charitable gift annuity. You can give a gift today and be done with it. So right. I'm hearing more and more of that recently. Um, but people want to be remembered. And in our organization, we say that all people are invited to our philanthropic table. And we mean it. And we, 
we evaluate what we mean by that. So when I'm speaking, I will share that our largest gift we've received is 5.7 million. And the smallest gift we received was $232. Wow. But the $232 donor in her will, she stipulated that United Church Homes and Services Foundation would receive all of the, all that was remaining in her estate. And she almost outlived all of her assets. But when she created that 10 years before or 20 years or whenever it was, her intent and her heart was in the right place. So in our organization, her name is right up there by the $5.7 million donor, because in my, in our opinion, and the way we view it, they both came to the table with the same open heart and loving spirit. And you celebrate both. That's fantastic. Don't you? Well, also let me share by, by telling that story, I open people up who think they're not capable of giving a legacy gift to be in the situation where they say, huh, okay, I thought only very wealthy people did this. Good point. I didn't know that an average person could do this. You know, if, you're, if your gift was $100 and you can leave a legacy gift of $10,000, you are a legacy donor. It's a yep, beautiful that... relationship. And what I teach fund development professionals is don't get caught up on what the dollars are because the big gifts will come. Just keep working those relationships, right? You just keep as you working described. the relationships. I just shared with my legacy committee. I have an amazing legacy committee. And um, what we had accomplished, we have just increased, um, uh, we have a campaign to increase our legacy donors. And so I reported into them the total, total dollar value because 61% of our new legacy donors have revealed the amount of their gift, which is, you know, fairly unusual. Right. Uh, and then of all of our legacy donors, um, over, uh, I think it's 51% have revealed. So, you know, we have a pretty good um, handle on how many dollars will be coming in, you know, over the next, you know, few decades. That's encouraging though, isn't it? And a tribute to you and the organization that people are comfortable uh, because you're right, uh, typically you would not know as an organization the dollars behind a lot of potential legacy gifts, but that is a tribute to the relationship you've built. Um, Nancy, this has been fantastic. Your advice on every category of our discussion is uh, something that I know our listeners will benefit from. You've also given several good books. Uh, do, you want, do you want to add another? As you know, I'm a big fan of professional development reading uh, as you, you are. Uh, anything I, else you'd add to the library? You know, I want to share that um, when I started in the profession, I started immediately building a professional library in my office. And, um, you know, people who know me, they know, yes, Nancy had that library of books and I love my <laughs> books. But um, one I want to share for anyone who's doing um, faith-based fundraising it's by um, Henry Nowen, and it's a spirituality of fundraising. And Henry Nowen um, just says some absolutely beautiful things about that we stand proud. We, um, without apology, and we ask for what we want. And he views that fundraising is a, is a form of ministry. Wow. But um, he says that, um, you know, 
be confident and joyful and stand up in asking without apology. And so I kind of, um, I adopt that. Uh, one other book that was important to me, particularly for people who are um, doing fundraising with, with seniors primarily or planned giving, and it's, it's a simple, simple book, but it's called How to Say It to Seniors, right. Closing the Communication um, Gap with Our Elders. And that taught me that someone who is 20 or 30 years older than me may be hearing what I'm saying differently. Yep. I need to get in their shoes to be able to, for them to understand what I'm saying. For instance, I kind of talk fast, walk fast and move quickly. All right. I had to slow it down. I, what I do is when I call someone, I say, I'm going to come visit for 20 minutes. And at the end of 20 minutes, I say, you know, now I promised I would be out in 20 minutes. You know, are you, have we wrapped up our conversation? Well, they always want you to stay an hour. Uh, um, right. So I book an hour, but I tell them 20 minutes because I want them to say, oh my gosh, I didn't want her to go instead of, oh my gosh, she stayed too long. She's still here. Right. Yeah. So it's how, how we do that. So that was a great book. But one that I'm reading now, which I absolutely love, and I'm, you've probably read, is The Gifts of Imperfection with Brene Brown. Oh, yeah. That's a and, great one to um, add. And you know what? That kind of sums up. Let go um, of who you think you're supposed to be and embrace who you are. Sometimes we spend so much time trying to, you know, be what everybody else thinks we're supposed to be. And why not just love and honor ourselves for who we are and where we're at and, um, and, and celebrate this beautiful place we are in the nonprofit sector. Yep. You have added, as I knew you would, some great additions to our library. And uh, again, Nancy, I want to thank you for being a, both a coach and a mentor to our listeners and this will uh, certainly give them many things to think about. Uh, I will include all of this in the show notes. And Nancy, where can we send folks uh, to learn more about the good work you're doing? Yes, they can. Um, they can Google um, Nancy Beard coaching and motivational speaking, or you can go to www.nancybeardcoachingllc.com. You can find me there. Or if you want to see the work we're doing at United Church Homes and Services, um, you can go to www.uchas and find us there. We'll have it all in the show notes. Nancy, thank you so much for joining me on the path. Thanks, Pat. And it was great. Well, I hope you enjoyed that great conversation with Nancy Beard and perhaps are thinking about that Parker Palmer book you need to read or perhaps putting yourself through a Strengths Finder exercise uh, resources around plan giving, certainly an element. If you are going to achieve senior leadership in the nonprofit sector, you need to understand that concept. And she, of course, represents resources from the North Carolina Plan Giving Council or a plan giving council at whatever state or community you're part of. So, as always, check out the show notes related to this episode at patentmcdowell.com on our podcast page. And you can find out specific links to all the things Nancy and I discussed. As always, please share this episode with someone else, perhaps on the path, uh, either early or later. Uh, I think there are concepts Nancy and I talked about that can be of benefit. 
And, of course, I would be very appreciative if you'd consider subscribing to our podcast so we can get the word out to more of you that are searching for opportunities in the nonprofit sector. Thanks for the good work you're doing for whatever cause is meaningful to you. And I look forward to bringing you more of this content that can help you do it even better. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time on The Path.